If you would, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 again uh, this evening. <clears throat> we'll be there uh, like we were last week. And um, I'm grateful for God's Word, and I'm grateful for the order of God's Word. Um, just sort of in the last few weeks trying to um, sort through exactly where we may be in Scripture. And um, there's, uh, just to be honest, a lot of pressure in my mind and heart kind of about uh, where do we go in Scripture in a circumstance like this. And uh, in some ways, to be honest, selfishly, I've been saying, well, I'm going to try to pick the perfect passage. And the truth is, there's a lot of places that we could go. And uh, I've been in John just on my own a lot this past year, and so we've really mainly been there on Sunday mornings. We've been in John 9 the last couple weeks. Believe it or not, we'll, we'll be in John 10, uh, Lord willing, this coming Sunday. And uh, so if you want to read that before you get here on Sunday, it may help you find things as we walk through that together. Uh, but <clears throat> we're just going to continue walking through 1 Peter chapter 5. And I mentioned the order uh, of which God gives us things sometimes in His Word. And He had it all planned and has it all planned perfectly for us. And uh, you notice there's something interesting. Last week, we read through most of the whole chapter. For time's sake, this week, uh, we're going to focus mainly on verses 6 through 11. And some of this we were in last week. You remember we were mainly in verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Verse 7 is where we spent a lot of time casting all your care upon Him. And we finished by emphasizing why and how can we do that. And it's because He cares for us. And that His care, we said, is far different than ours. Care, our cares are anxieties and worries. And His care for us is loving kindness and good motive. And He is pushing our lives uh, in the best way for us for His glory and for our good. And so that's sort of where we finish. And those verses are sweet, and that truth is comforting, and it is hopeful. However, God's in God's divine order, in the very next verses, He's going to give us a very stern warning about some things that we'll face. I'm the kind of person, I would rather have bad news first, good news second. Is there anybody else like that, or would you rather have... Good news first, so that you're happy when you hear the bad news and maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal. That's sort of the way that this verse feels. Maybe you want good news or bad news first. And this is, a, this is not exactly that. Okay, This is not a case of God gives us some good news first and then He lays the bad news on us, though it may feel like that initially. And these are the verses that we're going to look at. And God gives us divine order in this. He tells us, cast your cares, your worries, your anxieties, all of your problems and fears on the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. And knowing that He cares for you, prepare your minds because something is coming. Look at verse number 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And look at verse 9, "...whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that, he had suffered, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen." I want us to look at a few different things tonight. I don't know if my thing's plugged in up there, so I might have to um, have you forward through that if we can. All right, so you can look at the next one. Um, 
I want us to look tonight at a couple different things from particularly 1 Peter chapter number 5. Now you notice, he says, cast your cares, that's sweet, that's loving, that's great. But then all of a sudden, he gives us this warning, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary is coming. This adversary, gives us a description, is the devil. And he is as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he's going to devour. And so what exactly does that mean for us? And then notice he gives us some other things we can do. Resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same affliction. Remember last week we talked about starting saying casting our cares is not passive. It's not just I'm going to not worry. It's casting those cares actively to the Lord. And as we get into verse 8 and 9, you're going to see again, God is calling us to be active in how we deal with our sorrows and problems and troubles. And in a moment, you're going to see the word afflictions. He's going to be telling us how we can be active in how we do those things. Notice the verbs in verses 8 and 9. Notice it says, be sober, be vigilant. He doesn't just say, sit there and and watch your adversary coming. He gives us an action. Why do we do those things? Because of what the devil is like. Look at verse number 9. Then he gives us another kind of couple verbs here, whom resist steadfast in the faith. You resist, you stand against. And then notice in the kind of the middle of verse 9, knowing, that's also a verb. So he gives us active commands in our fight against the devil in these hard times and in these struggles that come because the devil will bring some of those things onto us. And we know that God is completely in control and that God completely cares for us. And in his providence, there is nothing done outside of his will. It's not like the devil wins sometimes and God wins other times. That is not the way his universe works. But we do know that the devil is working in this world. And the Bible is very clear about those things. And he gives us a little even description of how he is working. But also, notice at the end of kind of your introductory paragraph, I'm glad that it works this way. We often picture suffering as a passive thing, that it's something we just have to get through, that it's something we just have to wait for it to end. It's like the flu or a cold. You know, I've kind of been having this cold thing going on and my family's had a little bit back and forth and whatever it is that's going on. And in some ways you feel bad, but sometimes you just got to kind of wait those things out. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. But in this case, God doesn't tell us to just grin and bear our suffering and our problems and our situations. He gives us things to do in our problems and suffering. He instructs us in how we are to live. But I want us to notice, first of all, number one, just two main points kind of things to look at tonight. And the first one's very quick. Number one, our enemy. Our enemy. Look at verse number eight. And what does it tell us about him? Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, notice it says the spiritual warfare is not a game. The devil tries to bring real significant damage to our faith through affliction and suffering. Notice that those two things are connected. It says, gives us this description of the devil. Then verse number eight doesn't end the sentence. It continues into verse number nine, which says, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions. 
So he's tying those two thoughts together. You have a devil, an adversary that is the devil, who walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. How can he devour these people? And what is his objective and his goal? He's going after people in trouble and in affliction and in problems. He attacks us mentally. He attacks us emotionally. He may not be the author of our storm, but he sure can sneak in and try to cause chaos in that storm. I wouldn't stand here today and say the situation that we have faced the last few weeks was caused by the devil. I can't tell you that. I honestly, in my heart, don't believe that. There's too many things, and maybe one day I'll have a chance to explain all of them to you. There's too many things that point to the fact that this is God's work and God's timing. And the devil did not sneak in in those moments and do something physically to that and to our pastor that God was out of control. God is in control of that situation. However... The devil would like to use that situation in some of our minds and in our hearts and in our daily Christian lives. And it could be any trial and affliction that comes. It could be a financial thing. It could be a health thing, a relationship thing. Some of those common things that we battle as humans that may be part of God's plan, but the devil can fight us mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and he's fighting hard. Notice what it says in verse number 8 again. Because your adversary, the devil... Okay, there's a word that he's put in there. He could just say, because the devil is walking around as a roaring lion, but he wants to emphasize he is an adversary. What is that? It's an opponent. They are meant to be fought. They are meant to have some, we are meant to be against them or against him. Okay, you think about in sports, if there's a team that you're going against, you're competing against that team. They are your opponent. There are two countries and they go at each other in war. There are opponents. We have these different games that we play, uh, some with the kids. We got one recently, and I like it for this reason. You know, I'm not one that says everybody should get trophies and all kids are equal. I'm not saying that. But I, I like this game because it lets our whole family play and we work together to win the game together. Instead of Ellie being so concerned that she's going to be the winner or Boston's going to be the winner or Dad, I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm going to beat them bad, you know, or whatever it may be. Instead of that being concerned, we all work together to win. There's no real opponent. You're just kind of trying to beat the game and the challenge, okay? But our spiritual lives are not that way. There's not just some ambiguous thing that we're all working together to avoid or this thing that we're all working together to accomplish. There is an adversary. There is an opponent. And the Bible tells us about him. He is the devil. He is to be fought. And that is the key in this first couple verses after he says, cast all your cares on him. That is so comforting, right? And that is so sweet and soothing. Cast all your cares on the Lord. And then his next couple verses are this. Fight. Cast all your cares on God and then fight. And there is some deep truth to that, that in moments of affliction, we need to cast our cares onto the Lord, but we're not done. And we don't sit and wait. And we don't just sit around and think, I hope this all gets better and I'm just going to endure it. And there is, there is a point to patience and peace and rest. But God gives very clear instruction here. Cast your care on God and then fight. Because he will take care of you. As they say, are we fighting a person? No, we're fighting spiritually. Why? It says the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now let me ask you this question. Can the, can the devil completely consume or ultimately destroy a child of God? No, they can't. 
So what does it mean when it says he's seeking those that he's going to devour? I think that it hints at that in the next verse. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. You know what the devil can attack? He can't attack your soul and your spirit and take it away from God. And I'm grateful for that. Because there's times in my life where I would probably help the devil do that in my own lust, in my own flesh, in my own sinful mind and nature. But he can't. He can't take us away from God. But you know what he can attack is our faith. You know what his goal ultimately is in the life of Christians, in the lives of us as believers? You have it there kind of at the end of this point. His ultimate goal is our unbelief. What is it that got the devil cast out of heaven in the first place? It's when he basically in his own mind came to a distrust of God that he was the ultimate supreme authority and being, and he thought he could be raised up and lifted up to the place of God, and he rebelled in that sin against God. He did not believe about God what was true about God. And so that disbelief in his heart, that lack of faith in his heart, he tries to plant into our hearts because he knows that the evil that can creep in because of that and how effective it is, it's done it in his own heart or soul. I'm not sure how you would judge that with angels, but it's crept into him and destroyed him. And then he seeks to destroy us in the same way. He seeks to creep into us, not to destroy us by our trial, because he knows he can't do that. But he sneaks in to devour our faith, to consume our lives, to place doubts in our hearts, to cause there to be an unbelief in the truths of God's word. I know that God says this is true, but what I see doesn't agree with that. You ever had that feeling? I know that God says He cares for me in this way, but what I feel is not that. That's the kind of thing that the devil tries to plant in our hearts, this seed of unbelief. That's how he's trying to fight. So how then do we fight the devil? By strengthening that faith through God in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Notice, it says he's seeking to devour us, and his ultimate goal is unbelief. So how then... Can we fight that? How can we go against what the devil is trying to do in our lives? Remember, cast all your cares upon him and now fight. Well, is it our own strength? Well, we're going to see in a moment. The exciting, spoiler alert, it's not. You're not going to win that fight. You are not going to beat the devil. God is. I want us to think for a moment before we jump into these instructions. Think about this in the context of Peter's life. It is it's kind of ironic that Peter is the one writing this chapter. Have you, have you thought about that? Sometimes you can skip around and do word searches, and those are valuable things. And sometimes what you need to do is just sit down and think about who is writing in the context of their life and what that really means. Think about Peter. Peter is the one saying, cast your cares on God and trust Him. Peter, the guy that tried to chop a man's head off to protect Jesus, Peter, the one that tried to walk on the water and horrifically failed. Peter, the one who saw Jesus glorified in, in essence in his God, godly being on the Mount of Transfiguration and then said, let's build altars to God and these two men. That, that same Peter is the one saying, rely on God and trust in Him. That same Peter is the one, remember, remember the one that says that Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Remember the one that Jesus, remember when Jesus prayed for Peter and he says, I have prayed for thee, Satan hath desired 
to sift you? That Peter is the same one saying, Satan's coming after you. So you see how Peter started to grow in his life. Peter tried for years during Jesus' time with him as a disciple to do everything on his own. He was the zealous one. He was the one going all out for it. He was the one that said, I am going to physically fight. But Peter, you know what he found is that he would always fail when it was in his own strength. Peter's the one that sat before Jesus saying, you will not die. He told Jesus, you're not going to die. After Jesus just said, I'm going to go die. Peter says, no, we would never let that happen. And Jesus says, in fact, Peter, not only are you, not going, to let it ha- are you going to let it happen, you're going to deny me and curse me and turn away from me. That's how weak you are without me. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to be cruel to Peter or unusual to Peter. Jesus is trying to show Peter, without me, you are nothing. And now Peter is about to write to us and tell us how we can fight the devil, ultimately knowing we can never do it in our own strength. Notice what it says about our instructions. Number uh, two there, you kind of have the, just the blanks are from the verses. Be sober, be vigilant, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that these same afflictions are kind of around the world. Let's start with the first one, be sober. That means to be serious or clear-minded. It gives, in this case, it does actually give the opposite kind of idea of being in kind of a drunken state. He's saying, don't, don't live your life. Now, now how, would we, how would we say somebody, somebody gets pulled over on the side of the road and, and they're intoxicated and you know, the police is trying to judge whether this person is driving under the influence or driving while intoxicated and there's all these different tests and how can we do that? Because they don't see things clearly. They don't see reality for what it really is. They don't have the judgment, the depth perception. They, don't, <clears throat> they can't look at and assess things properly. And literally, that's in a way what he's saying. Be sober-minded. Assess this world properly. See things as they really are. Well, how do we know how they really are? By what God's Word teaches. And so Peter's saying, go by what God says and not always what you see. Don't live your life blurred by the other things in the world. He uses this word <clears throat> sober or serious a couple other places in 1 Peter. I'll give them to you. 1 Peter 1.13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So notice the two attachments here together. The word sober is attached here to hope. How do we have hope? in this world by seeing things the way they really are. By knowing that God, that through Jesus Christ, He can save our souls and He is coming again. That though this world seems wicked and awful and though my affliction seems too much to bear, He'll never give me more than I can bear. He'll never give me more than I can take. So when I am sober and serious-minded and I see things clearly through the light of God's Word, I can have hope. Another place that Peter uses this word, but the end of all things is at hand, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So notice the two words together, sober and prayer. How can I pray the way that I should when I am clear-minded and it's attached? How can I be clear-minded when I pray and ask God to help me see things the way that the Bible teaches these things? Are we sober? Are we serious? Do we see things clearly? Do we see things in the order of which they really matter in this world or sometimes do i look at everything through the lens let's imagine there's glasses or goggles I, you know when i was 
in driving school when I was like 15, 16, whatever it was, they had these goggles, you know, you had to put on, and they said, this is what it's like when you're drunk, and you can't see these things, and everything was all loopy and blurry, and, you know, it had all these different things, and sometimes we put goggles on when we look at the world, and we look at the world through the goggles of my job, the goggles, the glasses, I look at it through the lenses of my sickness, I look at it through the lenses of my problems in life. I look at it through the lenses of how evil there are things in this world, and I can get all out of order when I don't see things clearly. So how does he say fight the devil? Number one, see things clearly. Number two, he says be vigilant. What does that mean? Watchful and alert. You know, Peter, notice that. Did you recognize? I'll, I'll see if I can go back. Notice that. Be sober. Watch unto prayer. Does that sound familiar? Peter had been told that before. I'll, I'll give it to you. In Mark chapter 14, verse 37, 38, Jesus is speaking. He's got them out in the garden. Jesus comes, and he says, He findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not, couldest not thou watch for one hour? Does this sound familiar? Watch ye and pray. And now it's ironic that Peter is writing to us saying, Be watchful, be vigilant, and be alert. The same thing that Jesus had told him years prior. And now he's passing that on to us. Why are we to be vigilant? He's giving us this instruction. Be watchful, be alert, notice, and look for the circumstances in life that Satan can use to creep in and destroy or work evil in your faith. Have you ever seen an argument coming like way, way down the line? If you haven't, you've never watched political TV Okay, like when the box pops up and there's four people there and you have the host or five, you got the host in the middle and they're like, we have this person that thinks this and we have this person that's a professor of this. We have these people that are here and we have these people that live in the woods and have never talked to anyone and we're going to let them discuss this together. And you know, you know it's coming. Like, and sometimes the person doesn't even get out like they don't even say what all the people are before they start arguing about their titles even. And they're just arguing and fussing. And you see it coming. And Peter's saying, be watchful. You need to see this roaring lion. You need to see him coming. He doesn't roar before he attacks, right? He's going to creep in silently and then try to overpower. He says, be watchful. What is it in your life that you need to be watchful of tonight? What is it that you kind of see maybe a little bit down the pike, and maybe in your subconscious, you know, this could cause a problem for me spiritually. This could cause a problem in my marriage. This could cause a problem in my church life, in my family life. This could cause a problem for my devotional life, how often I'm allowed, allowing myself to spend in God's Word, and now I'm going to take on these other things, and I know that that's going to cause problems, so maybe I'll just pick it up somewhere else. The truth is I have to be watchful and vigilant. Notice the next thing, our instructions, be vigilant, but also, number, uh, letter C here, resist. Be steadfast in the faith. We are to resist this devil, this adversary. That literally means to sort of just stand against. Um, you, you ever kind of picture, uh, you, you like watching sports, you know, whatever, and you kind of watch football. This past Sunday I was watching uh, part of a football game, and uh, this quarterback was running, and this big, huge guy that weighed probably 50 pounds, 60 pounds more than this quarterback did. He's running after him, trying to send him in the next week, you know, pound him in the ground, all that stuff. And the quarterback reached out and just because of his leverage and angle and all that stuff, and just stiff arms the guy and just 
puts his hand on his helmet and just whoop, flops him to the ground. So this big, huge, nasty dude, this little skinny quarterback is just, whoop, just stiff arm, just throws him down. And that's kind of the image that we get here. Resist. Keep him away. But even more than that, not on the run like that quarterback was, but more standing firm. You know that it is coming and resist it. Stay against, fight against those feelings of doubt. Fight against it when the devil creeps in and tries to tell you things that are opposite of what God tells you to have faith in. We fight those things and we resist those things. I think it's interesting that, <clears throat> I can't remember if I gave it to you here or if I put it on the next thing. Yeah, here we go. It's interesting that in the armor of God, there's no part of the armor of God that lists where it protects our back. I may be reading into that a little bit, but why is that? Because God intends for us to fight, not to run, and not just to avoid problems, and not just to avoid confrontation that we may have in our own lives spiritually. Well, I might have this sin. I've got to fade away from that a little bit because of my guilt. And con- no, I, I dig in. Am I really guilty of those things? I want to embrace that. Sometimes we embrace conflict with others, but we don't want to embrace conflict with our hearts and what's going on in our own hearts and lives. But he says, fight, move forward, advance, resist, turn the devil away. Why? Because he's trying to gain ground in your life. And when we have a problem, we have a trial, we have a situation, we have an affliction, as is mentioned here, we don't back down. We don't run away. We don't just hide until it's over. But by faith and through God's strength alone, we resist. And we can have the strength to resist. How? How are we supposed to resist this supernatural roaring lion who wants to destroy our faith? How is it that I'm supposed to do that? That leads us to the last thing this evening. Look at letter D. By knowing. say, well, wait a second. I'm supposed to fight by knowing. You ever thought about like the armor of God and all the different things, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness? None of those things are like I can go out and just pick up off the street and now I have these things. Even the, the sword being the word of God. None of these things are my own. They're only through Christ. You say, well, I can be righteous, the breastplate of righteousness. Well, it says to take on Christ's righteousness in our lives, not my own because that's like filthy rags. So I'm taking on God's righteousness, God's home that He gives me of salvation, the peace that He gives me to run my feet shod with those things, the, that, that breastplate, uh, the shield of faith. All those things are, are anchored in who God is, not in who we are. So He doesn't say you fight the devil by being an awesome Christian. You fight the devil by having an awesome God. Notice what it says. God has told us exactly what we need to know. We have not been, we're going to take this from verses 9 and 10. I'll see if I can put them up there for you. But first I want to give you this. Luke chapter 22, Jesus again speaking to uh, Peter says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But notice this, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. This is ultimately what Peter's leading us to in 1 Peter 5. He's ultimately leading it. This is big, bold, zealous Peter that is not going to give us some secret. What, what was Peter's secret to eventually overcome it? Think about how many times he failed. Fell in the water, denied Jesus, tried to kill someone. You see, Raider Paul confronts in Peter's ministry what you can 
really define as bigotry and, and racism, you know, if you're just going to be honest. And, and he was, Paul confronts that in his life. We know that Peter changed. Peter failed and failed and failed, but God continued to work in his heart, and eventually he gets to where he can write First Peter, and part of his writing is part of what God gives us in his word. So how does he get to where he overcomes all those failures? Peter knows that the secret is not in himself. He knows that it is in this, that I have a God that is greater than me. And that God is greater than the devil. But more importantly, sometimes he's, he's greater than I am. And he remembers, he knows, Jesus says, I have prayed for you that their faith failed not. It's not that Peter's faith was great. It's that his God was great. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, Who are kept by what? Not by some special action, but by the power of God. So how is it that we're supposed to resist? And we'll finish with these three things and be done. Notice what it says in verse 9 and 10. Whom resist steadfast in the faith? How are we supposed to do this? What? Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Well, how is that supposed to be encouraging? Literally, what he just said is, you can be encouraged and you can resist the devil by knowing there's a lot of other Christians suffering the same afflictions that you are. There's a lot. It's, a, it's amazing to me over this past few weeks and different people trying to encourage me or our family, different things, and I'm thinking through and talking to these different people and people that have been through something very similar to what I have, or at least have very similar feelings about some circumstance or some tragedy, and they have suffered, and they've had some of the same thoughts that I have, and they've suffered some of the same afflictions. Well, how is that good for me to think? Oh, all these Christians are suffering. We have there. We have not been singled out. God has not chosen you to just give you the hardest life on this earth. The devil is not only attacking you, he's attacking us all. You say, well, how is that hope for me? Because God has made the same promise to you and to you and to you that he has to me. And if he hasn't failed you and he hasn't failed other believers, he's not going to fail me. He hasn't chosen me to be the first Christian, the first believer that he's going to abandon to prove a point. He hasn't chosen me to be the first one that he's going to forsake. That's his point as he writes. He says, hey, think of it. Around this world, people are suffering. You have not been singled out in your trial. What else does he tell us to know? A second thing, that it will not last forever. Look at verse 10. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a what? While. A while. It won't last forever. He says you can resist, you can stand fast against the devil because people around this world are doing it too. You can stand fast against the devil because it only lasts a little while. You say, well, I, I've suffered for years. Remember, the book of James says that this life is like two seconds, a breath, in and out. It's a vapor. It's gone, vanishes in just a little bit of time. And in these two seconds that we're here on this earth, that breath, and it's over. Even if your suffering lasts for that whole entire lifetime, when you get to heaven, <clears throat> it's just a breath. It's not going to last forever. And then the final thing for us to know what is Peter trying to encourage us? How are we supposed to resist steadfast? Because we know that we have not been left alone. 
And he's not telling us that, hey, other Christians are coming. Other reinforcements are coming. And though those things happen sometimes. And these last few weeks, the last couple of weeks, people have come behind and done their best to support and encourage and, and fill in places where we didn't even know things needed filled in even as a ministry. But then also for our family. And people have come by and given us hugs when they think that we just need hugs. Or they've taken us to eat or brought something over. And they've brought things in. And that has been encouraging. And they've shared encouraging word and encouraging verses, but that is not the promise that you find in verse 10. That is not who Peter says, have faith, stand fast, because someone is coming. You're not alone. Look at who it says is coming. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, He is going to make you perfect. He's going to establish or establish you. He will strengthen. He will settle and confirm you. And to Him is going to be glory and dominion. He will rule. And so what Peter does to encourage you is cast all your cares on the Lord because He cares for you. But let me warn you, the devil's going to fight, but you can stand against Him. You can stand against Him by being sober, serious-minded, seeing the world the way God tells us to see the world. By being vigilant, alert, looking kind of down the path at what Satan could do to attack our faith. He's, we can fight against the devil by standing firm and holding on for a while and resisting and fighting against him. Cast your cares and then fight for God. And why can we do all those things? Because you have not been singled out. Because this trial does not last forever. And because we have not been left alone. Because God is coming to finish it all. And whether He comes to make us perfect and established, whether He strengthens you a little bit right now, whether He settles and confirms in your heart a little bit tomorrow, or whether it's at the end of your life, a day is coming where the devil will get no glory and the devil will have no more dominion. There will be no more trial and suffering and pain because to Him will be glory and dominion, notice this, forever and forever. So whatever we're going through tonight, God gives us this command. Be. Be sober. Be vigilant. Resist. Not because you're great, but because you know that your God is. Let's have a word of prayer together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this truth tonight. We thank you for your mercy and love. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your grace, that the God of all grace, and though we may not understand each moment, each circumstance of life, and though we're trying our best to cast our cares on you, sometimes we need encouraged and we need reminded that we're here to fight and that it's an important fight. And we thank you for that. But most of all, we thank you that in that fight, you have not left us alone and that we can trust you. We pray this in your precious name.